And I said, no, I, I like to do biology and I will do biology. You need to be conscious about your own uh, worth. Young uh, girls lack the opportunity to interact with scientists. And as you can see, the reality of being a women scientist and a mother, you've got your child coming here and they and have to do the cooking after, uh, after work. They need to become more conscious that there is a gender bias, whether you, you like it or not. Just be prepared to, uh, to face it and to counteract. Be reminded that you are a scientist first and a woman second. And this is what will help you establish, uh, like give the punch on the table where needed. Not long ago, I recalled a memory from my primary school field trip in Dubai. Our Arabic teacher went with us to an experimental and interactive museum. At the time, I was only eight years old. When the bus dropped us off in front of the museum, we were divided into two separate groups. Girls on one side and boys on the other side. Throughout the day, we spent our time doing separate activities that were not the same. The girls were inside a house-like center, and the first task we had to do was to clean the windows. Then we were sent to a room where we had to make the bed, arrange the baby's clothes, and last but not least, we had to work in the kitchen. The museum lady said that if we wanted to earn the princess certificates, we would have to behave well cook a delicious cake, and be a nice girl. At eight years old, this did not shock me. But when I think about it today, I am disgusted. What if I had wanted to join the boys outside to play soccer or plant flowers? What if I did not want to be that good girl? Indeed, after listening to a TED Talk by Camilla London entitled why you shouldn't be a good girl, I realized that society does not encourage women to fight these boundaries. The experience at the museum was a reflection of gender stereotypes that limit women's role in society. At 17, I wanted to demonstrate that women can achieve whatever they aspire to and that society should never limit them in their choices. Hello, my name is Lena, and I'm a student. Welcome to Fighters, my first podcast, where we honor the power and the strength of women by highlighting diverse professional fields and sharing inspiring stories. Throughout this series, I plan to have discussions with some of the most resilient and powerful women across various domains. So today we're going to meet a marvelous person, Bamini Kamudu, a dedicated Mauritian scientist. And I must say, when I did some research about you, I was mind blown by your profile, your journey and your educational background. So can you introduce yourself for people who might not know you? I'm uh, Bamini Kamudu and uh, I'm a science communicator by profession. So I work at the Rajiv Gandhi Science Center, which is the only science center in Mauritius. And after my uh, bachelor degree in biology, uh, we had some difficulty in finding jobs in the country in the right field that is in biology, in the field of biology. And then I started my career 
as a guide at the Natural History Museum in uh, Port Louis, uh, very modestly, but uh, I agreed to, to do something instead of sitting at home. Very quickly, after a few months, I joined the teaching profession where I was teaching biology uh, to secondary school students in a secondary school, private secondary school in Mauritius. And after one and a half year, I joined the Rajiv Gandhi Science Center as uh, the job title is actually resource officer. And uh, when I looked at the profile, I, I saw that, yes, that's, that would suit me better because uh, I need to popularize science develop educational programs for the Science Center, uh, develop exhibits and exhibitions, and also conduct public outreach program, talks for the public, go to schools, and I also develop school programs uh, in science education. So instead of sitting in one school and teaching, I moved uh, from the formal uh, teaching of science towards the informal science education here. And in parallel, I, I completed my master's degree in research methodology. And then I remained at the Rajiv Gandhi Science Center for now I'm there for the past uh, 15 years. And during my career, I had the opportunity to, to grow, even if uh, I'm at the same position but I got various opportunity to continue my professional development. So attended different conferences, handled different kinds of projects uh, at national level. And uh, I got a few fellowships for professional development. So the first one that I got was the Australia Awards Fellowship uh, for training in Science Center Leadership. I underwent training at the Australian National University on Science Center leadership, and we were around 15 uh, fellows from uh, seven countries across uh, Africa. And that program was kind of a milestone in my career in terms of the exposure that I got, in terms of the interactions with my other uh, classmates, but also with the Australian world of Science Centers. And uh, a year later, I got a fellowship on the international visitor leadership program uh, by the U.S. Department of States and uh, the course was for specifically targeting women. So we were 50 women from 50 different countries moving uh, to the U.S. for a few weeks of training on women in leadership uh, in science field. And the course has got a very interesting name. It's called Hidden No More, which focuses on the all the uh, discrimination and underrepresentation of females in science. And uh, around that time, I, I started my PhD in science uh, education uh, around, I started around 2017 and completed in 2021. I came across this article on the Oxford Encyclopedia about women in Mauritius and the Mauritian culture. And I must say that it has some similarities with Reunion Island, as it is composed of several ethnicities and divided into four major religious groups. However, Mauritius had been colonized by the British and gained their independence in 1968. 
taking into account the multicultural environment uh, of your island, are there disparities between each ethnicity regarding women's rights? Well, if you look at the law, okay, the legal framework, everybody has access to uh, basic education. Actually, education is free from uh, primary to secondary uh, school level. Now it's even you've got the first the first time you undergo a, ba- a bachelor degree is also free. So everybody have got basically the same opportunities, irrespective of your uh, gender or your ethnic. Uh, group. So I th- I should say that I have been, uh, I'm not the first generation, I'm probably the second or third generation who benefited from free education. So uh, in terms of my ethnicity, I think this one also, uh, I'm a Hindu by, by uh, my cultural background is a Mauritian Hindu. But uh, this also did not impact at any anywhere in terms of of my uh, education. I mean, in my mother's time, my mother was a family of eight, and uh, there were eight uh, girls and one uh, one. She had only one brother, and she he is the only one who was sent to to university abroad, and that was the nineteen seventies also. But in my case, uh, given that now we have the University of Mauritius, I think it's around there since 1960 or 70, I, I, I don't know. And probably uh, around the 90s, there was some choice that girls uh, made at one point in time, culturally, which is when you're 20, 22, you need to get married. So, but, uh, but now uh, after the 1995, after 2000, this landscape has changed where more and more girls are joining uh, irrespective of, of their cultural background or joining university and uh, taking up higher studies, uh, establishing in a career and then getting married. Are there still cultural traditions that persist and that constrain girls into their personal development or are all the issues resolved? Well, some cultural traditions uh, do exist, uh, but it's quite kind of subtle and they are not considered as the salient one. For example, when you go to university, sometimes you need to, to go out uh, after, after school hours. You need to, to attend sometimes conferences, workshops, like development opportunities. And uh, probably in some families, I will not say some cultures, uh, the girls are not allowed to go out. In my time, we didn't have WhatsApp. We were still, yesterday I was was talking with a friend that we completed our bachelor and master's with dial-up connection. So uh, internet access. So we didn't have WhatsApp, we didn't have Zoom for group works and stuff like that. So culturally, probably that was the kind of uh, barriers that is being faced. The problem or the challenge comes later on when we are in our careers. When you are on the job market, the gender bias becomes more prominent. Whatever position you have, in some cases, when you talk in meetings, uh, people don't value uh, what you're saying or don't value your position. Sometimes there are some girls who, or some women who will, um, for example, probably not not un- like I went for training abroad uh, 
uh, for six weeks, some will not do this because they have a family, they have mm -hmm. young children. Or uh, many girls uh, have heard about that. Why did you leave teaching uh, and, and, and go for a nine to four job uh, and work until 31st December? when you for teaching you've got a lot of holidays mm -hmm. so you will have time for your family for your children blah 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 so that's the, the kind of mindset and we have a lot of females in the teaching profession because you finish early and 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 you have got a lot of vacations so at the career level at that point uh, i think this is where the the, the gap is a little bit uh it's not like in the legal framework but the cultural pressure during your career have you ever faced a specific situation in terms of uh, gender inequality yes and no i would say yes and no uh no because in terms of salary in terms of compensation and and uh and all these these kind of things which are which have got a legal framework. Uh, I work in the government sector, so we have got to abide by the, the legal framework. But what I noticed is that um, the moment I became uh, more mature, because I was very young when I joined the center, I was 24 at that time. And uh, with time, I, I grew, you know, professionally, I grew, I started handling more challenging projects. And then I got some fellowships and scholarships, which my male colleagues did not get, even if they were senior to me, uh, and opportunities. And this is where I started facing some, uh, some trouble at work. So the trouble came in terms of um, backbiting, in terms of not talking to me, in terms of trying to overshadow uh, in, in meetings. Uh, speaking on top and when I tried to make my voice heard so I got some other kinds of uh, reprisals but uh, luckily uh, by the time I already had my training in women in leadership from the US so I I was kind of empowered to face it. How did this program improved your daily life at work? Oh, that was a, a, a marvelous program. I think I think it's running for the fourth or fifth uh, consecutive year. Uh, first, it taught me that uh, I'm not alone, even if if I'm in Mauritius, and I met women from forty nine different countries. So we all basically have got the same uh, issues, the same struggle. Um, so we were taught during that program how to overcome and how to deal, how to tackle with this, how to re re react mm -hmm. uh, during meetings, how to uh, how to build your network, how to speak uh, out for ourselves when others are trying to to you know speaking on top or cut cut us off, and how to persevere despite the various uh, challenges. For example, how to identify other development opportunities like scholarships, like grants, like uh, attending conferences uh, and, and getting your voice heard in, in these conferences. So uh, this is what like the baseline of what we were taught. What is 
best uh, about this is that we still have these WhatsApp groups. So uh, there is a lot of exchanges going on. So some people are meeting. I got from my batch, I think I met three or four uh, other women who came to Mauritius for tourism and and uh, and we, we managed to connect. Some, uh, there has been exchanges in terms of um, uh, development opportunities, placements. My science center has also strengthened the ties that we had with the U.S. Embassy, and we are now in the pro working together with the U.S. Embassy for a project to set up an American makerspace at our center. So uh, these kinds of exchange programs, they strengthen bonds, and they they are just they pave the way for further collaboration. That is an amazing program of women empowering women. And I'm glad that you had the opportunity to participate in this uh, network. And regarding sciences, I read an article about you where you stated that the vocation for science came at a really young age when you were studying in Queen Elizabeth College. Did you ever encounter resistance from your family or did your parents question you about your career path? Well, uh, since a very young age, I already, I was very, um, I knew what I wanted to do with in all my choices, um, whether it was subject choices or later on choosing a BSc in biology. I have always been very determined. I have always been very hardworking and getting good results. So my parents, um, they encourage, for, for them, I think as long as I go to university, uh, they were happy with that. Mm -hmm. But I remember at one point my mother was telling me, uh, why don't you go for finances and why don't you go for I ICT? So these were the fields which were picking up at that time. And I said, no, I, I like to do biology and I will do biology. And uh, that passion came, I think, from from a very early age. The, the interest, the need to discover more. I used to rub the flowers on my copybooks and extract the pigments. Or um, uh, when, when I was at secondary school, it's the biology teacher and whatever they were drawing on the blackboard, which were more inspiring and which I found more interesting that I want to learn more. So I think ultimately this is what um, uh, shaped my decision. And I also think that at one point uh, at secondary school, I participated in a quiz competition on uh, by the Mauritius Society for the Prevention of Cruelty for Animals, MSPCA. And uh, in that quiz, I had to learn about different animals, animal behavior, how many eggs they, they laid per cloud, blah, blah, how many species of flamingos are there, blah, uh, all these. And uh, I discovered another world, and I think maybe that's what uh, pushed me to persevere in biology. So you have a degree in biology and acquired a PhD, and you went to uh, Australia. What has been uh, the hardest challenge that, that you faced uh, becoming uh, a scientist? I think for me personally, the hardest challenge was to get a job which really... I wanted to do in Mauritius, you know, I wanted to work in, in research after my, my, uh, my, my undergraduate in biology. I wanted to be a research scientist, but I didn't get that opportunity. I made a choice between a stable teaching job, giving me, 
a stable salary and a higher salary compared to a, re a research job. Uh, I, 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 I liked ecology and biodiversity con conservation, which was paying me less and did not give me uh, any stability. They were contract jobs for one year or two years. So I think that was the turning point in my career when I had to make that choice. Jobs in biology was scarce at that time, so I played safe. Mm -hmm. And that, uh, that uh, kind of um, turned my career into uh, another direction. So this is what um, moved me from a purely science and purely uh, research-based job towards uh, more more towards a science education uh, background and museums and science center field and this is where i still am but uh, luckily my passion for biodiversity is still very much alive biodiversity conservation and when i had the opportunity to pursue a phd i focused on biodiversity education so uh, it's uh, my PhD is on situational interest and learning of biodiversity when students visit a nature reserve. So, um, so it's more specialized in biodiversity education now. During my summer vacation, I recently learned that some of Einstein's research were actually done by his wife, Milevina, and that she was not associated with what she accomplished. And this phenomenon has a name, it is called the Matilda effect, which is a bias against acknowledging the achievements of women scientists whose work is attributed to their male colleagues. As a passionate scientist, you are a member of a UNESCO organization called the OWSD, Organization for Women in Science for the Developing World. Could you explain your role in this organization and why you decided to work with them? The Hidden No More program in the US was highly focused on all these, uh, the Matilda effect and uh, all the underrepresentation or the lack of acknowledgement for the accomplishment of women. So we were very um, uh, conscious about that. You know, I have many friends uh, who are thriving, I say, professors and researchers who do not have any uh, idea that this is happening to them. And the first step was to create uh, awareness for us that this is what is happening, but it's just that we didn't put a name uh, to what we were living. And uh, my joining the OWSD uh, network is, is associated with that. I'm, I'm one of the founder members because after my first, um, my first fellowship at Australia, the Australian High Commission uh, facilitated the setting up of the OWSD. So I found that a nice opportunity to meet and interact with other women scientists to form a network, a support structure, first of all for us all, but also to exchange uh, our competencies. And it was also an opportunity to, to, to do something for the young, for young girls. Mm -hmm. So we developed a program which was called Inspiring Scientists, where we go to schools, secondary schools, and we, uh, we, we bring 
women scientists who are thriving in their fields uh, to speak about their career pathways uh, to the young girls. And uh, I think this is something which is kind of lacking in Mauritius, where young uh, girls lack the opportunity to interact with scientists uh, who are working in the field. You get a teacher coming to talk to you, it's not the same as getting a scientist coming to talk to you. Then you can ask your question. You can know what it means to work in a laboratory, what it means to be an ecologist. The, the, the inspiring scientist, the female wrote a saying that says, if you can't see it, you can't be it. You know? So that was the essence of, of, of um the Inspiring Scientists program. And then we also developed other programs. Recently, uh, we had a program uh, called She Rose in Science, where we encouraged uh, secondary school students, uh, boys and girls, to um, to talk about a female scientist, uh, their pathway, and, and mount a video and tell us about the achievements. So it was a competition. And we got the funding from OWSD internationally. In your opinion, how could we promote science and improve the representation of female figures, especially for the younger generation? What do you think we should focus on? There are different things that we need to do. First, like I said, it's promoting female role models. Uh, but not only at secondary school level, it should start from, from early childhood. Getting the students to ask questions, to make informed guesses, to collect data is very important. And the, the, the problem is that they are already doing it. For example, if I say leaves, the early childhood educators are already using leaves in the classroom for teaching shapes, for teaching rubbing, for teaching coloring. But they could also use the leaves and show them that there are veins in the leaves and they are used to carry water. Yeah, uh, this is basic science. Mm -hmm. They are already using, uh, for example, um, uh, pulses to show that, uh, and then they are putting it into a, I'd call that a container and shaking, making musical instruments. But these same things could have been used to teach um, other scientific concepts that you need this for, you need to eat this for growth, or you can use this for some basic mathematics, counting uh, activities, for example. So it needs also to, to the early childhood should be there. At primary level, I think we need more uh, uh, the whatever theories need we need to see more the practical applications in real life uh, students need to be able to manipulate uh, some instruments go outside the classroom this is uh, something which we need to work on and if i would say at uh, at um, in the in the workplace we need uh, more opportunities for women for their own professional uh, development and growth I'm, I don't know what, how the salary structure is in the private sector, whether uh, uh, men and women benefit from the same salary uh, irrespective of, 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 uh, of their gender, if they are doing the same job in the private sector. Uh, some of them, yes, they are doing it, but uh, I'm not sure if it is the same across uh, boards. 
But I think more uh, opportunities for for women to develop their leadership potential. This is very important. The, they need to become more conscious okay. that there is a gender bias, whether you you like it or not. That you will face uh, gaslighting. That you will be discriminated upon. On, you know, mm-hmm. just sometimes because you are a very uh, beautiful lady, well dressed, and makeup, and you know, you are a lady. It doesn't mean that you you are not good at your job. Sometimes this this there is this bias in the mind of people. So once the the ladies, the women are conscious about the existing bias then uh, they can uh, be empowered on how to deal with this bias and uh, that will be that will be wonderful but also we need also to educate the men we cannot move just empowering only the women but the 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 males also needs to to be conscious how to treat a colleague uh, she's a colleague even if she's a woman and the importance of diversity in the workplace You worked for the Rajiv Gandhi Science Center for 15 years now. Where do you see yourself in 10 years' time? What is your new goal for the future? Yes, my my new goal now, I need to publish some uh, research articles first. Uh, following my PhD, uh, I need some more publications which uh, which need to go in academic journals. And um, I really don't know in 10 years time whether I will still be at Rajiv Gandhi Science Center or I will move to a different position. But uh, probably if I can move to a university, that would be great for me as as a as a teacher, but uh, as, a, as a lecturer. But like I said, uh, it's not when you are in a science field in Mauritius, whether you are a man or a girl, like I told you, I, there is only one science center in Mauritius and my competencies and skills are highly revolve around the science center field. So if in 10 years I want to move to a higher position, so I need either to wait for somebody who is my, uh, my, higher, uh, my superior to retire or to move to another country. But irrespective of whether I'm here or I'm I'm somewhere else, uh, I will need to I will need to continue to grow uh, as a scientist because things are continually changing and uh, we need to be able to to face this uh, the challenge. We need to remain up to date. Would you like to move abroad for new uh, occupations, new opportunities? Or do you prefer staying in Mauritius? Yes, this is the problem when you when you come from small country. I said of small developing countries. Like uh, right now, I'm I'm I have, I'm not considering any uh, opportunities to move uh, abroad. I'm already settled with the house, with the families, and you know when you are at one point uh, in your life. Mm where uh, we have to make that choice about stability for the children and and, uh, and career. Like, I'm already very happy where I, at the Raja Gandhi Science Center. So not for now, but probably uh, when I'm I'm older and my child is, is bigger, then I can consider that. 
And uh, when you have a young child and you are a scientist, for example, given my different involvement in OWSD, sometimes I need to work odd hours. So I need my parents to, mm -hmm. to look after the children. So uh, if I move abroad, I will not have all these benefits. Yeah. So uh, I'm able to continue my passion uh, in my career while being here and having my family here. So what is your message for girls who would like to pursue their career in a scientific field? So my message is that irrespective of whatever career you want to choose, you need to be conscious about your own uh, worth and uh, persevere in whatever you choose. If you choose to be a scientist, uh, be reminded that you are a scientist first and a woman second. So your mindset should be, you need to think like a scientist. It's not like I'm a woman scientist. You are first a scientist. And this is what will help you establish, uh, like give the punch on the table where needed and uh, making your voice uh, heard or or uh, tapping on different opportunities, publication opportunities, research opportunities, because this is what you have to do as a scientist. And uh, regarding uh, the fact that you are a woman, so remember that discrimination will always be there. Just be prepared to uh, to face it and to counteract by being very by being assertive. Now we're going to move on to the introspection of our guest. Can you describe the scientists, the person, the women you are today in only using three words? I would say uh, perseverance, uh, assertiveness and confidence and humility to be able to go through that continuous improvement. Continuous improvement is the, is the, is the big thing. Can you fill in this sentence, I am proud to be a woman because? I, because I look at the future with confidence uh, and at the same time embracing all the all the raffinements of, the, of a woman. I don't know how to say that. The word is not just coming to my mind right now. Thank you very much, Bamini Kamudu, for joining us today. Thank you to all my listeners. If you don't want to miss any of our episodes, you can find us on Instagram at Fighters Podcast. Goodbye.